Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. We love to to worship, and I know that was, um, this is moving, and God might be moving in your heart even at this moment, so we're going to just continue in worship. And Look back at a series that we started last week, and, and we're kind of finishing up this week, just a couple of weeks, spending, looking at this idea of how do you pursue a satisfied life, that that's something that people say they want, they want more of, and so what are some ways biblically that the scriptures might say, hey, here's how you could pursue that a little bit more, and then we're going to kind of close our time tonight with a space and a time for communion and another song, and so that's kind of what's unfolding, especially if you're new. I know I met a couple new folks tonight, and so welcome, glad you're here, and uh, we want this to be a place where you can kind of wrestle with faith and questions about faith and just kind of go on your own spiritual journey. I know not everyone is there, quote unquote. In fact, none of us are there. Um, but a lot of us have maybe found Jesus in that, opened our life to him, and, and now we're being changed in that process. And you may not be there yet, and that's cool. And I, I hope that this is a place where you can experience and kind of explore a little bit about what does faith in Jesus mean? Because he had a lot to say about this idea of satisfaction, about this idea of how how do you live a more satisfied life? In fact, he said that he came to give life and life to the full. And so it's not this idea that God is, um, like we mentioned last week, kind of this miser who doesn't want you to have good life or experience goodness in life. That's so the opposite. And that doesn't mean hard things don't happen or difficult things or challenges don't come your way. They do because we, we're not home yet. We're not in heaven. We live in a broken world and bad things happen to good people and bad people. And it's just, that's just part of the mix of what it is this side of heaven. So, um, Last week, we looked at this idea that as we pursue a satisfied life, that really what we see throughout the scriptures is that if you will grow in your godly generosity, it will actually help you to find and discover and explore a more satisfying kind of life. And so as a follower of Jesus, this means, hey, we're, we're trying to aim our life that way. And last week, we looked at this idea of, hey, if we, if we want to experience and grow in our generosity, that means we've got to pursue contentment. And we live in a world that is all about consumption and everything is about it. Remember we talked about how as Americans we eat 100 acres of pizza a day. And I, I think that's awesome in some ways. And, and, but, <laughs> but this idea of consumption is just a part of our culture and it's part of what we are. And listen, we're human. And so we have to consume in order to live and, and thrive. But in a culture that is all about consumption, and all about pushing us toward that, it, it can almost help us live with a mantra of more is always better. And the question is, is it really? Is more always better? And the scriptures kind of say, well, no. In fact, this, this concept of contentment is a very biblical concept. And the Apostle Paul writes to one of the early church leaders, Timothy, in Ephesus, and he, and he wants him to understand, I want you to pursue this contentment because you brought nothing into this world, and listen, you're going to take nothing out of it. So you can enjoy it. In fact, there's moments of enjoyment that you're meant to have, but you've got to keep that framework in mind. If you want to have a satisfied life, you've got to pursue contentment more than just going along with the whim of everything in the culture that says consume, consume, consume. More is always better because it's not. Just because you get more doesn't mean you're going to actually experience more happiness or more satisfaction in life. And so there's we've got to push back on that a little bit. We had some takeaways from last week that I just want to remind us about that how do you pursue contentment? Well, first is you got to live with a manager mindset. 
that, that you are not the owner of your stuff. And that's so un-American because we, we say, we, no, we're the owners. I work for this. I got it. Well, no, you were given the ability to do what you do. And that didn't have to be the way. In fact, you, there's a lot of people in the world who don't have that ability, that capacity to maybe do what you do. That was a gift even from God. And so you've got to live with this manager mindset and all through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place, it calls back that, hey, you know, God's the owner of everything. And so we're just meant to manage. We're meant to be good stewards. And so it means I've got to give back to God and kind of put him first. I've got to honor him first with all the stuff he's given me to manage because it's really his anyway. Now, he's given it to me for my enjoyment. I don't have to miss out on things in life, but I need to give back to him and make that a priority to think, okay, God, I'm going to set aside a percentage to honor you with and to move your kingdom and what you care about, that it's not just all about me. And that's the idea of living with a manager mindset. The second one was this intentional downsizing. Practice it. In the great spiritual words of Elsa from Frozen, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Right? So intentional downsizing, finding ways to say and push back against that mantra of more is always better than our culture pushes to say, no, okay, next time I go to a fast food place, I'm not going to get the large drink. I'm going to get a medium. What? Yeah, okay. Or just simple, simple things that push back. We had the challenge real simply of, hey, between now and the end of the year, give away seven things a week. What? That's 63 items between now and the end or the beginning of 2019. Now, I heard from several of you this week that you already started that, okay? I've got my seven t-shirts out in my Jeep ready to drop off at the next donation center that I drive by, okay? I've started this too. This is about intentional downsizing. In fact, one way I want to let you know, because our youth are doing something, so if you want to downsize intentionally with maybe some winter stuff, we joked last week that you may own 14 jackets, Remember where you live, okay? You're in Tucson. You don't need 14 jackets. And so if you want to help with that, uh, on the fourth Saturday, so the food distribution that's at Hollinger Elementary, our youth are going to give out kind of gloves and hats and coats and whatever we collect this month. So if you want to help with that, you can start bringing it next week, okay? We'll collect that. We're going to give it out to the folks that are there that gather at Hollinger, and that's a way, if you have questions about that, uh, you can talk to Karen. Karen, you're over here. You can talk to Karen about that. Um, so we'll be collecting that all throughout this month up to like the 21st of November. We'll get it sorted, and we'll give it away uh, there on at Hollinger's food distribution. So this idea of okay, intentional downsizing, learn to practice that. And the third thing we said is help yourself tomorrow by limiting yourself today, meaning it's important to establish an emergency fund. Okay, that sounds kind of American. It actually just sounds wise because the reality is uh, so many Americans, and this may not be the case for you, who live paycheck to paycheck, and, and I know everyone's scenario is different. We kind of threw out a goal of setting aside $1,000 a month as an emergency, or $1,000 as an emergency fund that if something happened, you don't have to go into debt to solve that and to help with that. Just start somewhere. If you're single and you're like, man, I, I live paycheck to paycheck, apparently, okay, start with 200. Just do something. 
uh, create a little bit of buffer for yourself that you don't have to just absorb the blows of life, that everything is going to be a challenge at time. And so as we looked at this passage of 1 Timothy, Apostle Paul wrote some wisdom to hear. Timothy, you don't come into the world with anything, you're not going to leave with anything. He goes on toward the end of it. Here's what he says in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, starting in verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. Wealth has a way of flying away, doesn't it? Can I get an amen? Okay. So it's uncertain in that. But you put your hope in God, who is certain, who richly provides for us, for everything for our enjoyment. This isn't God trying to be mean. This is saying God saying you can enjoy life. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves in a firm foundation that they uh, may have life in the coming age and may have told, take hold of life that is truly life, satisfied. Life is kind of what he's getting at. This idea of how do you go about pursuing that. So last week was this idea of, okay, I've got to pursue contentment a little bit more. Because the mantra is, more is always better, but is it? And so I've got to push back against that. And see, if you live with the mantra that more is always better, then it begins to take you on a journey of what I want us to look at tonight and to wrestle with, which is to fight against comparison. Now, let me ask you, how many of you compare yourself to others? (laughs) I know that seems like a really, whoa, that's kind of a deep question. Yeah, how many of you are on Facebook? Okay. How many of you compare yourself to others? I bet there's a correlation. Okay, I'm on Facebook too. This idea that we look at other people's lives, and if more is always better, can we just be really honest? Like really honest. When you're scrolling through at night, and you're like, oh, and then that person's on vacation, you're like, man, I wish I could go on vacation like that. I mean, I'm sure I'm the only one that ever says that, right? Uh, You all probably don't struggle with that, but I struggle with that at times. Uh, um, Am I alone? No, okay, so I'm among friends. That maybe this is something that happens to most people. This idea of comparison is a dangerous thing. And the enemy loves to take us to places of comparison because it gets us sideways. Comparison becomes a poison that robs us of contentment and robs us of living a satisfied life. Why? Well, comparison rarely enjoys what one has, but instead dwells on what other people have. It obsesses over, therefore, what I lack. So I don't get to enjoy what I have. I I actually get obsessed and focused on what I lack. And that's where comparison becomes almost public enemy number one to this idea of contentment. And this idea of living a satisfied life is when comparison gets its grip in us. We, it, comparison blinds us. See, it, it robs us of the ability to be generous. See, it's really easy to be generous when you are overwhelmed by the blessings that you have. And you're focused on that, and you're like, well, I can just give that away. I mean, I can give that away. I can do that. But see, comparison blinds you to the blessings that you actually have. And it actually turns your focus toward a perceived um, sense of lack 
or a perceived sense of, of scarcity. And that's where our mind begins to go. And, and when you get there, then you really can't be generous because your heart is saying, I, I lack everything. I, I have a scarcity. I, I can't give away. In fact, I need a clutch to get more because more has got to be better. And there's this weird tension that I think if we're honest and if we were just sitting at coffee and you and I were just chatting, I think you'd say, yeah, I've been there. I wrestle with that. In my own self, I wrestle with that. Now, that's not making light of real struggles because I know there's seasons of real struggles. I've been in some. I'll be in some in the future too. And so that's not this idea of just those seasons of struggle, but just the normalcy of life. When things are okay, there's still this way that comparison gets its grip in us and its claws in us and begins to pull us away from living a satisfied life or even finding contentment and joy in life. In fact, I want to look at a parable uh, in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Matthew chapter 20 at the beginning. If you're on version, you can follow along with that or the app, uh, you can follow along with notes, you can kind of see it. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 20, there's the story that Jesus tells, and it's interesting. You've heard Jesus say this phrase before, um, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? You've heard that phrase and maybe you didn't know where exactly that came from. Well, it comes here from Matthew 20 and the disciples were asking Jesus, hey, we've given up so much to follow you. Are we going to be rewarded? And Jesus says, yes, you're going to be rewarded, but I have a story for you. And here's the story of what begins to unfold. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Jesus tells the story, for the kingdom of heaven, the way heaven works, the way God operates, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard to work. So in the first century world, uh, how things would operate is a vineyard owner would walk out to the marketplace, right? So the sun is just barely beginning to come up. People have gathered in the marketplace, and the vineyard owner is coming out and looking for day laborers. And so they would gather there. They don't have a job. They've got nothing going for them, but this vineyard owner shows up and says, hey, are you willing to work? And they're like, yes, I want to work. And so he says, I will hire you and I will give you a denarius. A denarius was a silver coin um, that would be equal to what a, a soldier would make in a day, what a day laborer would make in a day. And so like this would be, you would work for this. And people would say yes, and that's what they did. They say, yes, I want to work for that for today. And so they ship them off into the vineyard. It's early in the morning, maybe six in the morning. The sun isn't fully up yet. It's still dew and mist on the ground. It's still pleasant to work, right? And so they get to work in the vineyard. And they're following along and they're working hard. And then about 9 o'clock in the morning, the vineyard owner goes back out to the marketplace. And he looks for more laborers, more people who want to work, who aren't in a situation. They have nothing going for them. And he says, would you like a job today? They're like, yeah, we want to work today. And he doesn't give them the same promise. He simply says, look, I'll, I'll just take care of you at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we'll figure out what the pay is because you're starting later, right? So they head back to the vineyard. They begin working. Well, lunch rolls around. A little bit after lunch, the vineyard work owner goes back out again to the marketplace about maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Says, look, are there people that are still looking for a job? Yeah, right here. Well, I'll tell you what, come work in my vineyard. I know we don't have much of the day left, but I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll, we'll make it right. 
And so off they go to the vineyard. About five o'clock, an hour before quitting time, he goes back out to the marketplace and says, is there anybody else that needs a job, that, that wants to have this, and I'm offering the opportunity. They're like, yeah, they jump at it. They're, I know there's only an hour left. We'll take care of the pay. We'll figure it out. They come work in the vineyard, right? Six o'clock rolls around, the whistle blows. And the vineyard owner says to the foreman, uh, why don't you pay the ones who got hired last first and, and take care of it and just kind of work your way back to those who we hired at the very beginning? Okay? And here's how the parable kind of begins to play out. There's tension that's building. There's something that's going to happen here that in the, in the instance of what's in your gut when you hear this, you're going to react to it. And so the early workers instruct the foreman to pay the workers beginning with those who arrived last, concluding with those who were hired first. Imagine the line, right? So here's people who have barely broken a sweat, been there one hour. They walk up to the table and the foreman hands them a denarius, a coin worth a day's labor. Can you imagine the excitement? I logged one hour and I got paid for the entire day. That's awesome. High five your neighbor. That's super cool, right? Literally, high five your neighbor. It keeps you awake. Okay, so you're high fiving them. It's awesome. Can you imagine the excitement from those who worked 12 hours, who were in the back of the line going, whoa, if that's what they got, Woo, this is going to be a great day. If that's what they got, man, I bet I got a lot more. So he works his way back. Those who got hired at 3 o'clock get a denarius as well. Those who got hired at 9 o'clock a.m. get a denarius as well. The ones who worked from the very beginning, who agreed to work for a denarius, get up to the table and they are handed what? A denarius. And then, this incredible resentment begins to well up within those who worked 12 hours through the heat of the day, who agreed in the marketplace, I'm going to work for this, it's great, this is what I'm offered, this is the opportunity, I'll take it. But wait a minute, this isn't, oh, you've said it too. This is where it gets dangerous, folks. This isn't fair. They begin to push back. The great excitement that was there at the beginning when they begin to see that maybe this is going to work out. Those who were hired last worked only an hour and yet you gave them a full day's wage. This isn't fair. But now the owner engages back with those who are shouting these things. I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He is saying to them, fair, wait a minute. I didn't rip you off. Uh, rewind the tape. When I was in the marketplace, I said, this is what it's going to be, and this is the opportunity, and you jumped at it, and, and this is where it is, and I offered to pay you, Daenerys, I agreed, here it is. I didn't break my agreement. Did I break my contract? Did I scam you at all? No. I gave you exactly what we agreed upon. The vineyard owner continues, verse 14 to 15. Take your pay and go. I, I want to give the one who is hired last as much as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? And then here's the heart of the whole story. Verse 15, underline it. Here it is. He cuts to the heart of the matter. Or are you envious because I'm generous? 
See, as you reflect on Jesus' story, we begin to realize that the wounded rage wasn't generated because the 12-hour workers didn't get what they deserved, didn't get what they were promised. They were upset and the resentment erupted because they thought the one-hour workers got more than they should have. Comparison. We are prone to lose our balance, not because we receive less than we deserve, but because someone near us receives more than we think they deserve. The wounded voice of comparison demands, why them and not me? Think of it from a different angle. Maybe a more familiar story, understanding of what's going on. A familiar story we experience in the summertime. Kids out in the yard playing. Dad's inside. Says it's really hot out. Kids have been playing out there a long time. Hey, Johnny! Why don't you come in? I've got some ice cream. In fact, your favorite kind of ice cream. Wouldn't that be awesome? And all of Johnny say, amen, Father. You're the greatest father ever, right? Johnny's running in. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Johnny, two big scoops. It's all yours. Isn't that awesome? Johnny's like, Dad, you're the greatest. When I look up greatest dads on Google, your picture is there. This is so awesome that you would take thought of me and that you would bless me with this ice cream. No, no, no. Let's change the scenario a tiny bit. Dad's in the house, summertime. He's got two sons. Johnny, Timmy. Johnny, Timmy, why don't you come in and get some ice cream? I know it's been hot out there and it's been sweaty and you just need to cool off. Oh, Dad, you're the greatest. Johnny, you got two giant scoops there. It's awesome. Timmy, here you go. What happens in the next 10 seconds? Tell me. I'm sorry, what? There is gnashing of teeth. There is a cosmic eruption of about fairness, right? Why does Johnny get two scoops and I only get one? They're eight and 10 years old. No, 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 wait. They're 38 and they're 42. (laughs) Anybody want some ice cream? Come and get it. Landon. (laughs) There you go, buddy. Appreciate you. You're welcome. 
Anybody else want ice cream? You got to come and get it. I, I don't throw it. I mean, oh, here he is. Sorry, I think. Oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry. But maybe there'll be more after service. So you don't know. Here's the question for tonight. What's in your bowl? Not the bowl of the person down the hallway at work. Not the bowl of the person in the row, couple rows behind you. Not the bowl of your parents. Not the bowl of your friend. Not the bowl of the people of your kids' sports teams. Not the bowl of the person that you scroll by on Facebook. Listen, I'm asking a specific question. What is in your bowl? Therein lies the question that allows you to say no to comparison. See, whatever bowl you focus on, that's where your heart goes. That's the reality. And so when you focus on your bowl, well, then you can see the incredible blessings that God gives you. The incredible blessings that he just says, look, this is for you. And it's awesome. And it's all for you. And this is what I have, and I want you to enjoy it. This is for you. Now, here's the danger. I don't have a third spoon. (laughs) But you might be able to find one. What's in your bowl? Often in our country, and every one of us fall victim to this, and I'll start with myself, it is so easy to see other people's bowls and go, God, it's not fair. It's not fair. Listen, we talked about this three weeks ago. Life's not fair. Get over it. Okay? That doesn't mean God's mean. It just means the reality of life's not fair. And so you want to maximize the best you. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Be the best you. And, and follow every opportunity he gives you and pursue and work hard and do good. But the scriptures say, look, it's not all about you. Sorry. Our country says something different. Our culture says something different. And our focus so often is, man, look at their bowl. They've got everything. They've got so much more than me. And, and so we go in this drift and this challenge. But we have to understand, we need to look at our bowl. See, while deep satisfaction is possible when I focus on my own bowl, complaint erupts when my focus drifts to the more in someone else's bowl. 
when my heart is distracted and my eyes wander, when comparison begins to reign in my heart, then the satisfied life begins to evaporate. I can't find it because comparison is a destroyer of gratitude and contentment. Look clear back at the very beginning. Adam and Eve, right? Given everything in the garden, told not to eat from one tree, And so when they have everything at their disposal, everything given permission except one thing, how does the tempter tempt them to walk away from God? Hey, look at that one tree. The one God said you shouldn't eat from that one, look at that one. Yeah, don't look at the hundreds of others that are here for your pleasure and here for your enjoyment. No, 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 no. Look at that one. He's withholding something from you. And see, when you begin to not be able to trust your creator because you feel like he's withholding, well, then your focus goes away from your bowl and onto what you lack. And you end up making decisions. And Adam and Eve did it, and every generation since has stumbled because we don't ask the right question. We get focused on what's in their bowl. And our focus goes there instead of just saying, what's in our bowl? And start enjoying that. By shifting our focus is where it gets us. Do not gaze upon what is given. Fix your eyes on what you lack. And that's where the enemy loves to take our gaze. So for tonight and for this week and for this month in particular, here's the simple question and the challenge that will follow. What's in your bowl? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever stopped the blur in the busyness of life just to say, God, thanks? Do you know why the Bible talks so much about growing our gratitude and growing a thankful heart? Because it just keeps our eyes focused on our our bowl. It allows us to enjoy all the blessings. It doesn't blind us. Comparison blinds us to the blessings we've been given. And it helps us focus on the scarcity and the sense of lack. I don't don't challenge you this week. You live in one of the greatest countries in the world. You are blessed. Hashtag blessed. Even if you are struggling, listen, you are hashtag blessed big time. In fact, go to this website this week, globalrichlist.com. We've said this before a couple years back. If you've never done it, go to it. Type in what you make in a year, and you will find out what percentage you are in in the world. I'm in the top 8% of the world. 92% live less than I do, and yet I live in a culture that constantly tells me I need more. And I have a heart that wanders and eyes that wander that say, I need more. I've got to have more to find satisfaction. And the reality is I don't. And neither do you. We are hashtag blessed. Even if you're struggling. That doesn't mean you can't improve. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is to realize how blessed you really are. And so here's the simple challenge. What's in your bowl? This month, between now and Thanksgiving, here's the challenge. 
as you're trying to intentionally downsize a little bit, set aside some time each week to literally count your blessings. Do what grandma used to always tell you. Count your blessings. I don't know how you want to go about doing that. Here's what I've chosen to do. I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. So every single day, I'm tweeting out a new blessing between now and Thanksgiving to remind myself that I am hashtag blessed. I've been given so much. And I have this incredible joy. Oh, Carol, you're awesome. Bringing her a spoon. That's cool. Here's uh, Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says this. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him, meaning there's active things to go. Let your roots go down deep in him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth and as you were taught. And what's the last phrase here? And you will overflow with thankfulness. Listen to me real close. Real Christ followers overflow with thankfulness. Do you. A person who has said yes to Jesus is letting the roots of that love and his grace go deep into their heart. They will overflow with thankfulness. The question is, do you? Do I? I think in our culture, this is a struggle, friends. And so if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we're not purposeful, then we can drift and get caught up in this, the blindness and the poison of comparison. And it robs us of contentment, and it tells to us lies that more is always better, and it's just not true. And so why we've got to grow this godly generosity of giving back to God, of honoring him first, of saying, it's not all about me, I've got to grow this, is because it will lead to you experiencing a more satisfied life. And at the end of the day, that's what I want for you more than anything. That's what we want for our church, is for people to live a satisfied life that's blessed and full of God's rich blessings. So, uh, you know, Lexus always says it's a December to remember. Well, here's, I want you to have a November to remember, okay? So I want you to tweet, to post on social media, to journal, to write if you got a family. What would it look like to take a butcher paper or a poster board and hang it up on a wall and say, hey, as kids, the whole family, once a day or, or two or three times a week, we're gonna actually write out a blessing for this week. Here's one of the things that we're blessed by. Here's something that we as a family get to enjoy because God's just blessed us. And you literally begin to count that all the way through Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving, you can have turkey leftovers and you don't have to do it anymore. But the challenge and the invitation is to do it, to help grow the gratitude and thankfulness within your own heart. Simple enough? That's the challenge. What's in your bowl? Not the people down the hall, not the people down the neighborhood. What's yours? And to make a list and say, God, I just want to tell you thankful. I want to practice Colossians chapter 2. I want to learn to overflow with thankfulness. God, you're an amazing God. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who said, hey, I'm gonna send you words and you gotta figure out how to find me. We don't serve that kind of God. We serve a God who said, listen, you're lost and you're wandering and there is no hope. But tell you what, I got your hope right here. I'm gonna send my son and he's gonna find you.
and he's gonna pave the way for you to come home and to have a relationship with me. It's not up to you. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to let yourself be found. That's pretty amazing. That's what we celebrate in communion. And so we just wanna create some space going into this final song. Um, we offer communion around here. You are welcome to sit and just contemplate. Maybe you just wanna sit and get out your phone and actually start making a list. Okay, here's my blessings. Here's the ways God has blessed me. Here's the, uh, you know, sight and <clears throat> sound, the ability to hear, the ability to work, the ability, whatever it may be, just start a list. God, I want to live as a person who overflows with thankfulness. And so we start right now just saying, God, we're, we're thankful for Jesus and that he came on a rescue mission for me and for anyone who will turn toward him. It's amazing. And so I just wanna pray for you that these next three weeks as we move toward Thanksgiving would be a, a journey for you to discover and to focus in what's in your bowl and to enjoy the opportunity to commune with your creator and to say thanks and to live and grow your gratitude and that you may become a person who overflows with thankfulness. So God, that's what we pray for. We wanna be people who overflow with thankfulness, grounded in the grace and the love and the amazing hope that you've given us in and through your son, Jesus. So God, as we try to grow this godly generosity in practical, tangible ways, we've kind of challenged ourselves to intentionally downsize. Would you help us with that? We've challenged ourselves to, to really grow our gratitude and to count our blessings, to focus in on what's in our bowl. And so would you help us to do that in these next few weeks? And in the process of journeying with you, would you remind us of your great attention and affection and love for us as we remember in communion now your body broken, Jesus, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, making a way for us to have life with God through you. As we worship you in this song, would you move our hearts to grow in our gratitude for you? We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.